When it comes to investing, retirement, and legacy planning, the decisions you make today can greatly impact the quality of life for both you and your loved ones tomorrow. Good news. You found the Growing Your Wealth radio show with Brian Evans. Brian is the founder of Madrona Financial Services, and with his background as a CPA, he brings a unique perspective to the investment and financial planning world. So get ready for an hour full of the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Thank you so much. Welcome to Growing Your Wealth from Madrona Financial and CPAs, where we give you the straight talk and honest answers you need to reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name's Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but the solid advice comes from Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. Brian, how you doing today? Doing great. Thanks, Jeff. Always glad to hear that. I hope our listeners are doing well today, too. Another great show lined up for us. We're primarily going to be talking about what a financial wealth retirement plan is, and we'll also talk about understanding what happens when you switch from the accumulation to the distribution phase. A little bit about sequence of return risk. So a great information-packed show today, so stay tuned for it all. If you've missed any part of our program, remember we are our podcast. Go to anywhere that you get your podcast and search for Growing Your Wealth, Brian Evans, and you will see quite a number of shows there, well over 100. I think there's somewhere around 130. So there's not only going to be the show that you're hearing today, but also past shows. So Brian, let's start out with what is a financial wealth retirement plan? Pretty much those all kind of blend together, don't they? Yeah. I mean, you can you can have a retirement without having uh, wealth. I suppose you you don't have to retire. Some people <laughs> never retire. So I don't know. Do they have a retirement plan? Uh, I was just talking to one of my clients the other day. He's uh, probably 83 and he's uh, looking to invest in some more uh, houses and so forth. And uh, he told me he, he heard from his doctor that a lot of people that go to Arizona and they stop doing everything yeah. and they think, well, that's what they want to do. They die in the first year. Yeah, because they have no purpose, I think. But he's 83 and wants to continue to do houses. He must be in pretty good physical shape or mental shape. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's sharp as a tack. So right. he said he, he learned that 15 years ago and uh, he carries it with him now. He says, I'm, I'm just going to keep working. If I stop working, I'm going to die. That's what the doctor told me. So yeah, he, yeah. he just keeps working. So when we talk about financial wealth, retirement plan, it's whatever it is for you. Uh, it could be different from somebody else. But what we're talking about is putting together a plan. And the plan is more than just numbers. It's more than just uh, what you're invested in. A plan is not, oh, I bought Amazon. No, that's an action. That's an investment. That's not a plan. I bought the S&P 500 and I bought the aggregate bond index. That's not a plan. That's an investment. That's all it is. So we're certainly expanding from just uh, what investing is to what planning is. So Brian, when you retire, I mean, it's different than when you're working. The plan becomes just a little more complicated, doesn't it? It does. But of course, like any plan, you want to plan this before uh, you retire. Uh, you don't want to build a house and go, okay, I'm going to start planning now that the trucks are dropping off the, the lumber. Let's start planning on what we're going to do with that. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Of course, it doesn't make any sense. But by the same token, retirement planning doesn't make a lot of sense to wait until, well, I'm retiring next week. Let's start the process. Well, okay, we can, no question about it. But would it be better if we started earlier? Well, of course it would. And so we'll talk about that. But as I mentioned, it's more about what the investments are, way more than that. So the first thing that we, we look at is the lifestyle. What kind of lifestyle do you want? Everybody wants a different lifestyle. And so that is a variable that is different for everyone. And so there is no cookie cutter to this. Some people want to have an expensive lifestyle. Some people don't. Some people have a lot of assets and cash flow and some people don't. 
But the first thing is the lifestyle. What I mean by that is if you could project into the future and look back and say, this is what I want my life to look like. This is the kind of life I want. This is the kind of resources I need to accomplish that. This is the kind of cash flow I need to accomplish that. Once you've determined what that looks like, now let's work backwards to see if it's possible to get there. And if I know what I'm kind of striving for, it's, it's much easier. If you just say, build me a house, I'll go back to my house example, you may end up with something you don't want, <laughs> you know? But if he said, build me a tutor on the lake or, mm-hmm. and it has four bedrooms and a two-car garage, okay, now I know what to work for here. Now I know what kind of lumber to order. Now I know what kind of, you know, what I need to do to get there a little bit better. And so that is where we start. It's a lifestyle and it's about planning with the end in mind, the end being, what do you want your life to look like? So you want to be a little more specific rather than I'm going to retire and not go to work anymore. Next one is going to be growth. That depends upon you in retirement because it's it doesn't depend upon your next promotion. How are we going to grow all this? Yeah, a lot of people uh, come to me. I've, I've had people come to me and go, well, what's your rate of return? I'm like, well, I don't know what it's going to be. Well, what has it been? Well, <laughs> it's different for everybody. Everybody has a different plan. And, well, I talked to somebody. They promised me uh, 15% a year. I said, great, go with them. <laughs> of the time I say that because first off, they're not telling you the truth probably. But secondly, if if that's all you're interested in, then then go out and buy the most aggressive sectors and stocks out there and and go for it. But most of the people, a vast majority, almost 100%, do not find that growth of assets is their primary concern for the rest of their life. Some people it is, I suppose. Uh, They just want to be the, you know, I always call it the richest guy in the graveyard. And that's all they care about. They don't care about their life. They don't care about the quality of life. They don't care about cash flow, security, anything. They just want to be the richest person. And so uh, they're probably not a good fit for us. Not that we're not good at investing you know, for growth, but I can't take that kind of risk for somebody. That's, I'm not really allowed to. I, you know, Some people, some of my clients, they have side accounts. They go, I, I beat you this year. I'm like, oh, really? That's great. What'd you have? Oh, I, I, bought, I shorted Bitcoin and I bought some penny stocks and a couple wow. of them hit. Great. I can't do that for my clients. I'm not allowed to. I'd get sued. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I had to play it a little more singles and doubles and, and get the diversification built in. Diversification by itself uh, precludes you from max growth. You can't pick 100 different investments and have all 100 just kill it. You know, you can pick one potentially, or you can pick the wrong one and it goes the other way. So with growth, you know, growth, again, I, I would say that is not the primary concern of most people I talk to. They want that in the, their plan. Absolutely. They want their certain parts of their assets to grow. But most people are more interested in uh, other aspects. And once you have accumulated these assets, I mean, that's great. You've grown them, but then comes the time when you need to protect them too. You don't want to lose them to a bad market or a downturn in the economy or something else. And that's one of the factors I was mentioning that people are probably more concerned with often, uh, especially as they approach retirement, is I've made enough money. I have enough to have a good life. I've looked at my lifestyle. I know what it, I want it to look like. I can get there as long as I don't mess it up. And if I take too much risk, I might mess it up. You know, I'll just throw Bitcoin out there again. Boy, everybody's excited about Bitcoin, but some people bought it t- at twice the value that it is today within the last year. So if you lost half your entire life savings... 
and put it all in Bitcoin, you wouldn't be too happy about that because you didn't take care of the protection aspect. And so many people are about, okay, of course I want growth, but I'm probably more interested in protecting what I have so that I don't lose it. So so that my plan that can work today, I don't find out a year or two or three from now that it can't work anymore because I didn't take care of protection. And I don't think you can have any financial plan that works without two very important things. One is a, a plan for health care, but I think even before that is a plan for taxes. Well, yeah, you can have one. It won't work as well. I find that doing uh, looking at your situation, doing some tax planning and, and what if scenarios and decide, you know, decisions about 1031, 1035 exchanges or, or Roth conversions or timing of different things it makes a lot of sense. Uh, of course it does. It, you know, Doing some planning is better than no planning, I would say, 100% of the time. I don't talk on a lot of absolutes on this show, but there's one. Mm-hmm. Some planning is better than no planning. Planning earlier is better than planning later. So, yeah, having a tax plan, obviously, our CPAs can help with that. And a healthcare plan, uh, knowing that what you're looking at, what the cost is going to be. You know, in our financial plans, we have to add the cost of Medicare supplements. And you might have taxable events where you sell something in future years and your, your Medicare Part B surcharges can go way right. up. So yeah, there might be a lot of things to factor in for that or the unknown or even uh, long-term care. And so that can be part of healthcare too. Let's circle back to taxes a little bit, Brian, because taxes are really not a set it and forget it thing. I mean, the government keeps changing the rules. Oh, yeah. And the rules are so complicated. One of my advisors was asking me about depreciation. I mentioned that I, I once had the master tax guide just for depreciation. Oh, it was over a thousand pages. Oh, my gosh. A thousand pages on depreciation. You think, well, can't you just take what you bought it for and divide it by five years and you know, take <laughs> yeah. that? No, no, not so easy. So the tax code is extremely complicated. It changes. Your situation changes. Rates change. Uh, exemptions, deductions, credits, they they're constantly changing. So it's a, a very fluid moving target. And that's the advantage of Madrona Financial and CPAs is that you get both of those disciplines right here under one roof. Let's move on to gifting. It really depends on you or Uncle Sam's going to take over. Yeah, how you gift assets can be very important. It can affect your uh, estate tax someday too. And some people think they can't gift because they're going to get taxed on it. And they might be wrong about that because just because you have a taxable gift doesn't mean you pay any tax. I know that sounds weird, but there's a lot, you know, there's $11 million someone can gift without any tax. And so, or $12 million or whatever the number is, it's a big number. So, actually, gifting is generally not a taxable e- event, uh, surprisingly. Uh, you might have to file a return that says you don't owe anything, but but that's that's something that, that you can consider. And certainly, gifting can take a number of forms, whether it's charitable gifting or to family members, and there's certainly really good tax advantage ways to do, especially charitable gifting, that a lot of people don't take advantage of. And finally, you've got to have a legacy plan. And as I've said in this show, I've never seen a hearse towing a U-Haul. You just can't take it with you. You've got to have a legacy plan. Yeah, of course. And a lot of people don't want to talk about it because, gee, I don't want to talk to you, Brian. You talk about taxes, which I can't stand, and death, uh, death and taxes. So, you know, I'll always have a job, by the way, Jeff, because yeah, I, <laughs> I work with death and taxes. But uh, yeah, we're all mortal. We're going to die. And, and if you have assets, uh, when you die, you want to plan for that. You definitely want a, a will or revocable living trust, you know, health care directives and power of attorneys and, and proper trustees named and trust mentions and so forth. There's a lot to that. Uh, you don't want to leave that mess behind for someone and all the fights that can ensue, of course. 
But having a, a plan to where you, you've you taken control, you know, you, it's your assets that you had for your lifetime, whatever you don't spend. Wouldn't you like to know that's going to uh, good things instead of bad things? Sometimes leaving assets to certain people is a bad thing. It will enable their bad habits, and we don't want to do that. So think about that. You can, you can protect those assets. You can take care of the charities you want to take care of. You can take care of the people you want to take care of in the right way. And so, and, and save taxes if you do the planning right there, too. We're talking with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial and CPAs about what a financial wealth retirement plan is, and it's made up of lifestyle, growth, protection, taxes, health care, gift, and legacy planning. And speaking of taxes, let's say that taxes do go up in the future and you were able to identify what to do now so your future tax bills were not as large. When that time comes, can you imagine sitting down for breakfast, hearing the news, discussing the new tax changes, and you look to your spouse who says, aren't you glad we planned for this years ago? Well, you can plan for taxes and you can plan for your retirement now by going to madronafinancial.com and taking the rooted wealth analysis is a very simple thing to do. There's a get started button right there. It'll check how deep your financial roots are. Once again, go to madronafinancial.com, click on the get started button to check how deep your financial roots are with the rooted wealth analysis. It's madronafinancial.com. Tired of getting only half the story? We've got you covered with the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with your host, Brian Evans. Now, here's Brian. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. In this segment, we're going to be talking about the understanding of what happens when you switch from accumulation to distribution phases. And Brian, those are two distinctly different things. It occurs to me that when you're in the accumulation phase, you're always putting money back into the pot. But when you're in the distribution phase, the pot is pretty much set. You're putting some money back into it with your investments, but it's not like you've got a lot of time to make things up. So let's talk, first of all, overall 30,000 feet view, what is the main difference or the main thing that you should think about when you go from switching from the accumulation phase to the distribution phase? Yeah, I mean, I'll define them really quickly, though, in case it's not obvious. I mean, there's a part of our life, you know, when we start working, when we're in neither, we're not accumulating or just distributing. We don't have any assets sitting around. We're just trying to make it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's month to month. We're paying our bills. We're getting by. Hopefully, here comes a point in your time when you're starting to accumulate investments, whether it's in your 401 1K plan, equity in your house, whatever it is. And so that's the accumulation phase when you're working. And then you, when you retire, obviously you don't have that income coming in to cover your bills. That's the distribution phase. We got to take those assets that we accumulated and that along with Social Security and maybe a pension or whatever is what we need to make it through the distribution phase in our retirement. And when you retire, your income has got to be structured or planned so that you don't get caught pulling income from accounts that are down. And speaking of down accounts, I mean, there's something called sequence of return risk where, you know, it it does make a difference when you retire. If you retire in a down market, you really have some great risks. And that points to the story that I've always talked about, Mr. Brown and Mr. Green. So let's start there. Yeah, I, I want to spend a little bit of time on this because this is really fascinating. I wish that, you know, this is radio and I've got two charts in front of me with lots of numbers on them. And so I'm going to decipher this and, and break it down. But it's I think it's really important to go through this example. So what we had is we'll call it Mr. Brown and Mr. Green, and they each had a million dollars. And in this case, in this example, we're going to be pulling money out of the account. 
and the account's going to be invested in the stock market. So we took an actual 25-year returns on the S&P 500 and plugged it in. So for Mr. Brown, we started with a million dollars. Now his 25 years started out poorly. So he started with the returns of, say, uh, oh, 2000, 2001, 2002. So right out of the gate, he was, he was down. And some of the better years were later, of course. We've had this great run in the market. So what does it say? So if he was averaging 6% a year over the 25-year period of actual S&P 500 returns, that million dollars turned into $4.2 million. So that's great. So we we can look at that and go, well, if we had a good stock market that averaged 6%, even if the early years were terrible, I mean, at at one point, the million dollars was down to 580,000 using real returns. But then it had some really good years and it compounded up to 4.2 million. Conversely, Mr. Green, we took those returns and flipped them. So last year, the 25th year return for Mr. Brown became the first year return for Mr. Green and so forth. And so we just flipped them around. So Mr. Green had good years early on and then some bad years at the end. Well, what happened is Mr. Green's portfolio went really high. It went up to over $7 million before dropping down to the same $4.2 million of Mr. Brown. Because it didn't matter what order this happened, they're going to end up with the same amount of money. So here's a case for the stock market as an investment that you don't touch. Uh, regardless of the sequence of returns, the returns are going to be the same no matter what order they're in. And so in both cases, they a million dollars became 4.2. Now we're going to change this up. We're going to take this, this same outcome and make one variation. The variation we're going to make is we're going to take 5% of the million dollars out each year. So $50,000. So each of them is going to do this. Well, we'll start with Mr. Green this time. He has the the good early years and the later years not so good. And so the million dollars, he's taken 50 grand a year at age 65. And by the time he's 90, he's been able to do that every year. And he ends up with two and a half million dollars still left over. It's not 4.2 because he was taking 50 grand a year, but it's still two and a half million. Now, the two and a half million three years earlier in this example was four and a half million. So I remember I, uh, I mentioned that the bad years at the, are at the end for Mr. Green. So that dropped to 2.5, but you know, he got his 50 grand a year. So that worked great because the sequence of return was good. It was good in the early years and poor in the later years. Now we're going to go to Mr. Brown. We're going to flip this over again. Mr. Brown had bad early years and good later years. Well, let's see what happens. Well, that million dollars got nailed the first three years like it did in 2000, 2001, and 2002. And when we look at this, he actually dropped down to about 446000 after just three years. And if he continues to take the 50000 a year, Mr. Brown completely runs out of money at age 83. Mm. He didn't even make 20 years. And he completely ran out. Mr. Green had 2.5 million and had 25 years of 50 grand a year coming out. And two and a half times what he started with. So it doesn't work the same as it did when you don't touch the accounts. The sequence of return made a huge difference in this case if you have some bad early years. So what this tells me is that obviously it matters uh, what the returns are, the order of them, if you're pulling money out. 
Well, you might hear this and go, well, I like the idea of being in the stock market. If I don't have to pull money out of that, how can I accomplish that if I need money for retirement? That's where often fixed index annuities or pensions, Social Security, any real estate investments, uh, whether active or passive or DSTs, but certainly fixed index annuities uh, as a primary source, how we can provide cash flow from sources other than your growth portion of your investment. We'll call that the stock market, which what we're looking at here, in both cases, we had a projected 6% average rate of return. So if we can leave that stock market investment alone and not use that for cash flow and retirement, it takes a big uh, worry off the plate of that sequence of return risk. So Brian, correct me if I'm wrong here, but what you're saying is that Mr. Brown and Mr. Green were all in in the market and therefore they were subject to this sequence of return risk. But if they had had other types of investments, more safe investments that they were pulling on for living expenses, they could have avoided, or at least Mr. Brown could have avoided this from happening. That's exactly right. And to take this a step further, you know, I see the ads for, you know, I hate annuities, you should too. Okay, they say you should be Mr. Green. Mm -hmm. You should always put your money in the market. And if the sequence of return risk is really good and really positive in your early years, that's correct. You would be better putting all your money in the market and not doing some of these other investments if you had a high rate of return in the future and you had a really good sequence of return in the early years following that. Or we could be destitute. And you could be Mr. Brown and you are completely out of income at age 84 and you're living on Social Security. That 50000 you were getting to come in uh, is completely vaporized. Your account balance is completely vaporized. So you got to ask yourself when you're thinking about going with someone that says put it in the market. Great. If the returns are in the right order and they're going to be good. So all that person you're talking all that advisor you're talking to has to promise you is they promise you're going to have X percent average rate of return in the next 25 years in this example. And they know the order in which that's going to happen. I don't think that's possible. I do not know this. Nobody knows this. Nobody knows the order. Nobody knows what the returns are going to be. Nobody knows what the world is going to look like in 25 years. We don't know in five years necessarily, but certainly not 25 years. So that is why we have to do some planning outside of just the growth planning. And the thing that drives me nuts is sometimes they'll go, well, yeah, this is going to happen because I can show you a graph how it happened in the last 25 years. Well, the last 25 years was the last 25 years. Yeah. It is not not repeating itself. It is going to be different. It may be better. It may be similar. It may be worse. I don't know, and nor does anybody else. So if you want to take that chance, you can. But if you're planning on taking that chance, we're probably not your your advisor. You know, we want to work with people that get that, that get the fact that you know, maybe you love the stock market and you think it's going to be really good. Great. Let's allocate to that. We just got to make sure that we're not putting you into a Mr. Brown scenario where you could run out of money, income, all your assets, everything by having it all in that with a bad sequence of return. Well, the one thing that's constant, Brian, I think is change. And as you said, we never know what's going to happen here in the near future or in the distant future. Would you say that it's always a good idea to allocate some money into safe investment strategies, even in enough? market? Uh, I never like to use the word always. It's generally a very good idea for most people to want to have safe investments. 
to have that security so that they don't have to be in pins and needles their entire life about, you know, is the market cooperating or is it not as I'm pulling money out to live on? And so I would think that virtually most of our our plans are going to want to balance growth, security, liquidity, and cash flow and tax savings. And uh, we we think all of those are important. Does one trump another? It depends on you. Very often, cash flow and security trumps growth to some degree. So when I say trumps it, you might have been 100% growth stock market in your 401k when you were 45 years old. I think that's fine. You don't need any security at 45. You got a good job. I don't think you need secure investments. However, at 65, I think that might be your primary focus, security and cash flow over growth. And so that's why it can change over time. You're listening to Brian Evans of Madrona Financial and CPAs, and we've been talking about sequence of return risk here in our program. I can't help but think of those massive trees around here that fall during a storm. You know, you think they're set, but then you find out that they had shallow roots. You can see that where they're on their sides there. Well, the same goes with your wealth, and that is why it's so important to make sure that your wealth has deep roots. Well, how do you know if your wealth has deep roots? Well, it's a very easy way. Go to madronafinancial.com and click on the Get Started button to check how deep your financial roots are. It's only going to take a couple of minutes, but it could answer a lot of very important questions for you. Again, madronafinancial.com. Click on the button that says Get Started to check your financial roots. It's simple and it is easy and it could make a big difference in your financial plan. You can't build a house with just one tool and you can't plan for retirement without an integrated comprehensive strategy. If you want to get more information on the Madrona bundle of services, call Madrona Financial Services at 844-MADRONA or go to madronafinancial.com. Now, back to more of Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. In this segment, we'll be talking about putting a financial plan together. And Brian, you know, most people are used to taking a look at a pie chart. I mean, pie charts are a great tool when you need to look at diversification, but they can't do everything. It's like a hammer can't do everything. Yes, that's true. And and yeah, don't get me wrong. I like my pie charts. I absolutely use them when I'm putting together recommendations for clients. I'll, I'll be looking at a financial plan that we produce, kind of showing where they're at currently, which is what we do. We start with that. Where are you at? If you just say, thank you very much for the plan and walk away and don't do anything we advise, what does that look like? So I have that in hand. And then I often use a pie chart to say, all right, how would we allocate the investments according to the kind of diversity? to achieve the different goals of growth, security, liquidity, cash flow, and tax savings. And so I'll, I'll use a pie chart for as a tool. And so, as you mentioned, your hammer example, you need a hammer for most jobs. And so that's, that's my hammer, but I need other tools. Then we put the changes into the programs and produce another financial plan with our recommendations built into that. But the interesting thing about that is most financial planning software, really what it is, is it's a bunch of Excel spreadsheets in the background. Mm -hmm. And so they're, they're just calculating numbers and populating fields. And we're looking at the populated fields and, and making decisions from that. That's not enough. That's just numbers. That's, mm-hmm. I, 
again, it's a great tool. Oh my gosh, financial planning software is a great tool. Excel, having Excel in the background, that's great. A lot of people do their financial plans using Excel. They try and build their own financial planning software. But if anybody has ever put together a big spreadsheet, a very complicated Excel spreadsheet, you know what happens when you get one of the cells wrong. Yeah, it throws everything <laughs> off downstream. Just, yeah, it's crazy. It just messes it all up. Mm-hmm. I, I have a funny uh, story from my past when uh, these programs came out. I just graduated from Washington State University, and it was 1984. I started as a CPA in Bellevue there. And my class was the first class that ever had use of microcomputers. Wow. So the people that were hired the year before me had no idea how to turn one on. And so I did, and I knew this Lotus One Two Three, and this Lotus One Two Three was the uh, the soft the spreadsheet software, and it had all these funky things you'd have to do to make a formula and so forth. We didn't have mouses, and we didn't have copy paste, we didn't have anything like that. Yeah. A lot of typing. And what's interesting is the computers were so slow. I remember putting together this compensation analysis I, I made for a group of doctors to figure out how much each one got paid each month. A big project. And every time I made any change on it, if I allowed it to change all the other cells, I literally would, would hit the calc button. I'd get up and go with my guys. We'd go out to lunch. I'd come back after a full hour. Wow. And the thing is still working through that one change. Yeah. So I would have to set it on the don't calculate button. Mm-hmm. I'd make all these changes to all these cells. I'd hit the button, take an hour off, come back, and, and have all my fingers crossed. <laughs> Did I put all the things around? And then you start seeing the error, 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 error. Oh, oh that's the don't. worst. That's yeah. the worst. I, I got something wrong and I can't tell what it is until I fix a cell and leave for another more than an hour and come back to see if that one cleared it out. And oh my gosh, that was something. And then Excel came along. I "I don't want Excel. I like this Lotus 1, 2, 3. But uh, yeah, in the old days. But that that, that teaches me, okay, you got to have everything right to get the plan right. If you have anything off, it's going to completely mess it up. So just getting the numbers right is one thing, but a, a proper financial plan goes way beyond those numbers. We're talking with Brian Evans here of Madrona Financial and CP about putting a plan together. Brian, earlier you talked about some of the software that some advisors use, things like Riskalyzer and Social Security Optimization. I mean, it really goes a lot further than just putting numbers into a computer and letting it do its thing. You really got to take a look at the whole person and what their lifestyle is. And I mean, these are great tools, but they're just tools. You got to add some human elements to it. Yeah, that's a, a great, you know, just I'll mention a couple of those. The Social Security Optimizer, one of the numbers you got to put in is how long you're going to live. So most people will say, oh, what if I live to be 90? Well, I can tell you 100% of the time, Social Security Optimizer will say, wait, wait until you're 70 Mm -hmm, before you mm -hmm. take your money. Right. Well, you might go, yeah, but I retired and um, I don't have any other income. And what am I supposed to eat? <laughs> I'm like, wow, that, that Social Security Optimizer did not measure your hunger between yeah. the year uh, ages 67 and 70 yeah. when it told you to wait until age 70. Well, there's an example of oh, the numbers are pretty clear. What if you changed, uh, I'm going to live to be 78? Well, then it will mm-hmm. tell you to take it early. I already know that. And so you got to take these numbers with a grain of salt. The risk lies. Uh, you know, you put your, oh, I got a risk score of, of seven. So what does that mean? And well, I, I can take risk. I, I can guarantee a lot of a lot of people I've worked with, they basically, it's funny, you know, people come to me, well, I don't mind taking risk because, you know, I want to make money. I don't mind taking risk. I said, well, what if the market loses 20%? Oh, I can't hand, handle that. 
Well, it's going to if you take a lot of risk. At some point, it's going to lose 20% at some point. And I, well, I don't want that, though. Can I take risk without that, that big drop? I'm like, no, that's not really how it works. And so we're real good at gains. When markets are up, people love taking risk. They'll be calling me all the time. Hey, we should buy, you know, really go for it here. And when they're down like they were in early 2022 here, then people are going, wow, I'm sure glad we talked about risk and put some money into things that aren't down due to this down market. And so people tend to find that the pain of a loss is probably about tenfold Mm -hmm. as much as the joy of a gain. Brian, regular listeners of this program know that you're a CPA, you know, Madrona Financial and CPAs. You've been a CPA for a lot of years here. When you do a financial plan, can you isolate tax-efficient years and address them years before they become a problem? Well, yeah, that's where this becomes a great tool because I can look at this and go, okay, what's our income year by year? What are these down years here? Okay, that was between when the annuities Social Security are starting after you retired. There's maybe some down years in between. Boy, that might be an opportunity to load up on and maybe we sell some capital gain assets at a low rate. Maybe we certainly do a Roth conversion during that time. That would not be the time to take a big charitable donation for appreciated property donated to charity. You want to pick that in an up year. So we can look at the up years and say, okay, what what do we want to take advantage of or avoid during those years? So certainly, again, I don't want to discount the value of the Excel spreadsheets that are behind the financial plan and risk allies and social security optimization programs and so forth, but they have to be used properly. Like any tool, I like this tool analogy, you can have all the right tools, but if you don't know how to use them properly, that's probably not going to help you in the end. Brian, can you bridge gaps between retirement dates and when different income sources like Social Security are turned on? Yeah, it is a, an art, not a science. So as I look at, and any of my advisors here, we, we look at the uh, financial plan data, we will see where we have to come up with cash flow uh, very often. And it may not be as evident. Again, I mentioned you, you might be delaying Social Security. You might be delaying when you start in a particular annuity from its lifetime cash flow. And so we have to say, all right, we might have some gap years here. And, uh, you know, we need an extra 60000 a year for four years. Where are we going to come up with $240,000? So that has to be part of the analysis. Just because you have assets doesn't mean you have $240,000 to spend. Your assets might be illiquid. And so we have to look at the liquidity. As I always mention on this show, we're always looking at five different things. Growth, security, liquidity, cash flow, and taxes. Those are the five things. They have to work together. And so in this case, we might be looking at your financial plan and say, all right, where is our liquidity going to be for those particular years? We know we have growth. We know we have deferred cash flow with the annuities, maybe. We've taken care of the tax considerations and security and so forth. But where's the liquidity coming from? So each one of those areas, because earlier in the show, we talked about growth and the importance of it, but sequence of return risk was a problem. So then we needed to talk about income from other sources. So we had that, the cash flow. And here we're talking about liquidity. We got to have liquidity in years that are down. We just talked about tax savings in low taxable income years and doing Roth conversions and capital gain sales and so forth. And so again, growth, security, liquidity, cash flow, and tax savings. And so all of these can be a very, very important thing to consider in all aspects of financial planning. Brian, when you lay all this out, can you prevent or head off problems before they become bigger problems or avoid them completely? You can always do that. And certainly there's no perfect solution because there's no perfect 
investment. There's no perfect strategy. There's no, you know, we don't know the future. The future is imperfect right off the bat. Whatever we talk about today could change tomorrow a little bit. And so what we can do is the best we can. So this is about planning. Planning early is better than planning late. Doing some planning is better than no planning. Doing really uh, extensive planning is better than just uh, spending a couple minutes throwing a spreadsheet together planning. And so the more we can do at a high level, the better your chances of a better retirement. There's no question about that. And so we want to uh, make sure that we are putting some effort into this. This is not easy, but the result, uh, what you get from it can be huge. Obviously, we're talking about your life. Lifestyle planning, don't you think that? That's important, Jeff. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. We're talking with Brian Evans here of Madrona Financial and CPAs about putting a plan together. Have you ever said to yourself, I'm not sure when or how I can retire comfortably. I'm stuck because I don't want to pay the big tax bill. The market negatively affects my mood or I don't know the right questions to ask. Well, if you answered yes to any of those statements, then the Rooted Wealth Plan very well may be for you. So how do you get the Rooted Wealth Plan? Well, it's quite simple. Go to madronafinancial.com right now and click on the Get Started button. You're going to get a custom-made financial plan rooted in the seven areas that sustain wealth. It's designed to give you the quality of life that you want. Once again, go to madronafinancial.com, click on the Get Started button. It'll only take you a couple of minutes, but it could be the best couple of minutes that you will ever spend in your life. Again, madronafinancial.com and click on the Get Started button. Do you ever worry if your CPA and financial advisor are on the same page? You won't have to if you call Madrona Financial Services at 844-MADRONA or visit them at madronafinancial.com. Now, back to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. And in this segment, we'll be talking about putting together a comprehensive plan. And Brian, when you say comprehensive plan, I would imagine that that means not a plan just for now, but a plan for the future, sort of a multi-generational plan. Yeah. I, you know, In the last segment, we were talking about uh, putting together a financial plan and some of the nuances of that and how it's more than just spreadsheets and numbers. You have to critically analyze the output from that and make decisions outside of the numbers sometimes. So that's step A. You know, step B, I would say, would be uh, a bigger, broader picture, maybe more of the 40,000-foot view of everything, where you're considering not just, well, do I have enough money to spend to support my lifestyle? And am I going to have enough in retirement to support that retirement goal? You know, that's important. But in this segment, what we're kind of talking about is what about beyond that? How do we look at the numbers and go, oh, if you do what your goal is, you're going to have very little assets. You're going to have a too many assets. I say too many. You're going to have a lot of unspent assets. Do you have a legacy plan? Do you have a multi-generational plan? Do you have a plan for the taxation of that and the administration of that? Uh, as we mentioned in the last segment, you can do a, more harm than good sometimes with money. You can give money to somebody that shouldn't be probably getting big sums of money to enable them to continue to do their bad habits. That is not a good thing. You know, what we're talking about here is thinking outside of just yourself and what your assets may or may not do for your spouse, for your kids, for your charities, for your grandkids, whatever that may be for you. The planning around that can be, well, obviously it's critical for many people that have excess assets that they're not going to spend. 
So really, this is a multi-generational plan, and we spoke last week or the week before about getting a large sum of money and a very small percentage of that money that is left after several generations. Let's take a fellow that everybody, I think, in this part of the country knows, Ken Griffey Jr., made a lot of money. But what are the chances that without a proper financial plan that Ken Jr.'s money is going to last so that his grandchildren have that? Well, I'm glad you said Ken Jr. because uh, Ken Sr. <laughs> had a son that was so good at baseball that they bought themselves another generation there. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah, Ken Griffey Jr., however. I remember Ken Sr. because coming from the Cincinnati area, he was a very good player, but there was this little boy. I'll never forget him. He was about five years old, and he was running around in the outfield, and the, the kid really was far ahead of his time. He could catch those, shag those fly balls at five years of age. Yeah, I remember uh, my nephew was really into baseball cards, and he, he knew everything every stat of every player and he was so proud of himself and mm-hmm. and so I knew this so I brought this uh, card and I said well, what do you think about this and he said wow Ken Griffey rookie card wow and he was just so excited to see this <laughs> Ken Griffey rookie card that came out of my collection that I had when I was growing up. But he's looking at the picture and he's just scratching his head going, but it doesn't look like him. <laughs> Who? I don't, uh, you know, I finally said, uh, that'd be Ken Griffey Sr. Yeah. <laughs> so that, those are the guys I was collecting. When I was Part a, of the big red man. machine. Ken was a, a real good cog in that wheel. Yeah, yeah. So my berry picking money was buying some really cool baseball cards way back when. But yeah, we fast forward to Ken Griffey Jr. and his son Trey, I think was his name, did not make big bucks. No. And so the money is going to be passed down generationally. The statistic that it would uh, actually make it to the second generation down, as you mentioned, Jeff, is under 10%. Wow. Which is hard to believe because I remember sitting in a class once and they were telling us these stats and they say, okay, what percentage of, of of $20 million and up estates last two generations. And everybody was, I don't know, 60, 70, 80. No, it was, it was like eight. Wow. It was really low. And I was like, wow, couldn't that have been avoided? Does, does that really happen? But sure, if, if people don't work and earn their money, uh, they tend not to be able to take care of it like people that do. And their tastes are going to be different uh, when money comes easy than when, when it comes hard. And so that's where multi-generational planning, uh, whether it's, again, to kids, your spouse, your grandkids, kids, or even to charities. Planning for how to give to charities can be important. Or uh, figuring out how to use trust. Trusts are a very important tool in all of this as our proper will or revocable living trust. Brian, when you make these plans, these comprehensive plans, I would imagine, as we've said before, we use the phrase, set it and forget it. Can you really do that with a plan like this, or do you have to go in and constantly make tweaks and changes? Well, there are certain things that you can get in place. So, for instance, let's say you have you don't have a will or revocable living trust. For most of my clients, you're, you're signing up for several hundred thousand dollars of extra Washington estate tax someday by not having that. But if you did have that, and let's say something changes in the laws, uh, many of the wills and revocable living trusts are, are designed to say whatever the max Washington state exemption is, that amount goes into trust upon my passing to avoid that tax. So you don't have to necessarily change it every time they change the, the law on what the exemption is or so forth. There'll be wording that protects you against that. But certainly if, if a lot of time has gone by and people you've named in your will, you know, things have changed. Your thoughts on healthcare directive have changed over time. Definitely, you want to update those, but it's not something you have to do all the time. But it's certainly not a set it and forget it. 
We're talking with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial and CPAs about putting together a comprehensive plan. Brian, I would imagine a comprehensive plan does involve legacy, spouse, long-term care. So let's start with a legacy aspect. Yeah, certainly. Uh, as I mentioned, the legacy aspect is, you know, you want to give maybe money to your kids and charities and so forth. But as I mentioned, do you want to just give them that money? I know in my own revocable living trust, money does not go to my kids directly. There'll be provisions for uh, maintenance and support for them. There will be provisions for releasing money for house purchase or college or or starting a business, something of that nature. There'll be certain amounts uh, released to them at certain dates so that if they aren't very smart at, say, 30 years old, maybe they're a little smarter at 35. And and so there's there's a second chance for them there. And so there's a lot of things. If you can think it, you can pretty much do it within your your legacy plan as as you work with an estate attorney and get your will or revocable living trust put together. Brian, what are some provisions that you would put in this plan to account for a spouse? Let's say that you were to pass early and the spouse has a lot of years left. I mean, how do they make it? Well, very often I mentioned that a trust could be established to get out of the Washington estate tax up to the exemption amount. Let's say it's $2.2 million. So that amount could go into trust. So that avoids the tax. But the spouse is going, hey, wait a second. That didn't go to me. That's right. It can't go to you. Otherwise, it'll get taxed someday to your heirs. But it went into this trust. And they're going, well, what about me? And well, as a spouse, you're likely the income beneficiary of that trust. So any of the income that trust produces produces goes to you. It's supposed to go to you at that point. And if very often, if you are the trustee also, then if you need some of the principal, you can attach that to knowing that you're going to lose the tax savings from that to your heirs, but maybe you don't care that much about that anymore. Maybe they're not on your, your happy list for, mm-hmm. for some reason, but <laughs> but yeah. And, and so there, there are, the money is still to the benefit of the surviving spouse, generally as the income beneficiary. Brian, wouldn't it be fun to have some software for the kids where they could just simply log on in their phone and they could check where they stand <laughs> in the estate plan? You know, maybe they've upset dad, uh, you know, last week and they check in and they say, well, you know, I went from 30%, now I'm down to 5%. <laughs> that sounds a little scary there, Jeff, but <laughs> I, I will refute that to some degree because once dad has passed and the money goes into the trust, that can't be changed. Yeah, uh, It goes from a revocable living trust until they pass and then it goes into an irrevocable trust. Irrevocable trust, they don't have those changes happen to them. And so that's an interesting thing that happens at that time. And so I know one of the chapters in my one of my books talks about this, about how you might want to protect assets that would go to your kids. Maybe there's second marriages involved and that kind of thing. And you'd want to make sure you leave some assets to your kids. You would set up a revocable or an irrevocable trust upon your passing and maybe not make your spouse the trustee of that trust, but make it someone else so that we know that the spouse is just going to get the income from it, but not the principal once the spouse passes away. And Brian, I've always said that you do not have a comprehensive plan or a plan in general if you do not have a plan for long-term care. How do you address long-term care in a comprehensive plan? Well, you know, long-term care is tricky because, like I sometimes say, if you can afford it, you don't need it. And if you uh, need it, you probably can't afford it. The long-term care premiums is what I'm talking about. So, you know, somebody with a lot of money probably doesn't need long-term care insurance because if they could self-fund it and, you know, they might say, well, gosh, it's going to be 10000 a month. Where am I going to come up with that? And I might say, well, you're 
going to spend ten thousand a month anyway in your plan. Now you're just spending on not fun stuff, you know, care as opposed to fun stuff. You, you're not going to do both. You're not going to spend ten thousand a month on fun stuff while you're in a nursing home. You know, it's just you don't do both at the same time. And so, you know, if you have a lot of money, you can self fund. If you don't have much money at all and you need what you have to live on, Medicaid would kick in once you run out of your assets. It's that tweener, you know, I've got several million dollars. I might want to have some long-term care. Absolutely. We can look at that to make see if it makes sense to buy an asset-based policy where uh, you have some protection for long-term care expenses to uh, help your estate someday and, and just helping with the care itself and not putting an unnecessary burden on your, your kids. I, I think that's a big reason to have long-term care. And I would also think that taxes are a big part of a comprehensive plan too. Oh yeah, always taxes. I'm a CPA. That's uh, always part of the conversation because there's a lot of uh, mistakes, obviously, that, that are made by people that don't have access to uh, really good tax planning and and opportunities. I mean, you know, million dollar ones. I they happen every year where I go, oh no, I I even hate to even bring it up with people. Sometimes they'll tell me their situation, and then you'll find out that you know they kind of messed it up, and uh, it could have been resolved. You know, hundreds of thousands or even millions. Of dollars could have not been paid in taxes had they done it a, a little different way. And so often I just keep that to myself. If, if it's already, <laughs> if that ship has already sailed, then I may not even bring it up. But it does pain me sometimes to, to see uh, decisions made, financial transactions completed, and then they say, well, how'd I do? <laughs> it's like, ooh, I wish you hadn't asked me. So tax planning can be a very, very important thing. But do it before the transaction occurs that you're thinking about, not after. We're talking with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial and CPAs about putting together a comprehensive plan. And that's why it's so important to work with a CPA and do comprehensive tax planning. You know, it's just one of the seven roots that sustain wealth. If you want to see how deep your tax planning roots or other roots are before the next storm hits, go to madronafinancial.com and click on the button that says get started. When you do, you'll fill out some basic information. Then the staff at Madrona Financial will be able to schedule your rooted wealth analysis so you can see what needs to be addressed before the next storm. You don't want to be caught in the middle of the storm trying to react. You want to be proactive. Once again, go to Madrona Financial and click on the Get Started button to get your rooted wealth analysis. Brian, out of time for this week. Thanks so much for your time. I want to thank our listeners for joining us. For Brian Evans, I'm Jeff Shade. Get out, have a great weekend in this great part of the country that we live in. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Growing Your Wealth. No statements made during the Growing Your Wealth radio show shall constitute tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own legal or tax professional on your individual information. Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services is licensed to offer investment advisory services through Madrona Financial Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Madrona Insurance Services, LLC, a licensed insurance agency and an affiliate of Madrona Financial Services. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investors cannot invest directly into indexes. No investment strategy, including asset allocation or diversification, guarantees a profit or guarantees the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes.